Welcome to the Reader House Author Roundtable, where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. I'm your host, Corey Graham. Join us here every Friday night at 8 p.m. or listen anytime via podcast at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and PodServe, to name just a few. The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore, where the independent new authors come first. If you're in a leadership role, whether you're still learning the ropes or you've been a leader for a while, the new book by Justin D. Lloyd is here to help. It's titled The Leader's Handbook, A Christian's Guide to Strategic Leadership. And I get to talk all about this book now here at the Reader House Author Roundtable. The author, Justin, is with me now. Justin, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining me tonight. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. I'm excited to be talking about this book, Justin. Can you tell me what readers will find here? Yeah, so kind of like you said, no matter where you are in your leadership journey, this book is really meant to help you. If you're a brand new to leadership, if you're not even really sure that you're in a leadership role, this book deals with just understanding what it means to be a leader and kind of walks you through just various steps to help you become confident in the role that you're in. And if you're more advanced, you've been doing leadership in a specific role for a while or are looking to take on new opportunities that present themselves, this book will help you. It really delves into how to be a strategic leader, which given the volatility of the world we face today and the various challenges that leaders are going to have to deal with in 2024 and beyond is exactly what you need in your back pocket when you face something that's unknown. Justin, would you say this is primarily for a Christian readership or does everybody have something to get from this? Well, definitely, it's written for a Christian. There's going to be scripture references in here to the Bible. I pull examples of biblical leaders and their stories, revealing both their successes and their struggles. However, um, I believe that the Bible is relevant to everybody. So anybody who picks up this book and reads it is going to have an opportunity to find their story, just like anyone who reads the Bible is going to find their story written in there as well. Uh, Justin, what inspired you to get started writing this? How'd you get the idea? Yeah, you know, honestly... It was a school project. About three years ago, I decided to uh, go back and get my doctorate. When I chose the doctoral route as opposed to the PhD, it meant that I needed a final project. And there were various options, but I've always been drawn to manuscripts and writing books. And so just kind of worked itself out that I could take those three years of learning that I had put in, plus all the other education I'd attained along the way, into the product that became the Leader's Handbook. Hmm. You just mentioned you've always been drawn to writing. So have you ever been published before this, or is this your first time? Actually, I have. So this will be the fourth book that I've done. I've done uh, two prior to it. One was called Simple Plans. One was called Custom Christians. And then I just recently finished up a joint publication called Everyday Leadership for Everyday People. So this makes it book number four. I think probably this is one of the best ones yet. Well, taking into account that this was a project that you were doing for your education, how long of a process was it all together through when you started it, clear up until it was published? Right. Yeah. So I would say, honestly, about three years of research and then about a year of writing. The writing part, really just synthesizing everything that I had learned over those last three years. And then once I uh, had the manuscript completed and got in touch with Covenant, who were my publishers, it only took about another six to nine months to really kind of refine the manuscript, work it into a publication process. Justin, really, this book was several years in the making. So what was that moment like, that day when you got your first copy in and you got to hold this for the first time? What was that like for you? It was a really good feeling. 
you know, when you go through, you have this idea in your mind when it first starts, but it's just such a vague idea. Kind of like we talk about a light at the end of the tunnel. Like, I know the tunnel is going to end at some point if I just keep working in the direction. I know I'm going to hold this book in my hand, but man, that feeling when it's actually in your hand is really probably second to none from a book publishing perspective. Like, it's like the fruition, like here, you birthed this and there's my child in my hand. <laughs> I have four kids. So I have to be careful of that analogy because my wife would be quick to say, I don't know, your book's your baby, but definitely <laughs> it feels similar. <laughs> I have a feeling, Justin, that you have more books in you. Have you given thought to writing more? Yes, sir. You are 100% correct. I'm actually working on two more now, um, one on faith and just really understanding faith and how it applies to the Christian's life. And then one on spiritual discipline and just trying to help us to understand how terms that we've heard years ago still matter for us in 2024 and going forward in terms of us being able to hear from God and be effective in the kingdom walk. Well, I know that leaders in all positions will get something out of this book, and I encourage my listeners to definitely go check this out. Again, the title is The Leader's Handbook, A Christian's Guide to Strategic Leadership. It's written by Justin D. Lloyd. It's published by Covenant Books, so you can pick it up everywhere. Get on over to Amazon or Barnes & Noble or iTunes, also traditional brick-and-mortar stores, and you'll find this book. Justin, it's been really nice talking with you tonight. Thanks so much for joining me and telling me all about your work. Thanks for having me. You all have a blessed one. In her new book, Piece by Piece, Author Brenda Kane shows how her faith brought about healing in her life and brings encouragement through her story. And I get to find out more about this book. The author, Brenda, is here with me now at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Brenda, thanks for being here. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to have you. Can you tell me all about Piece by Piece? What can readers find here? Readers can find my true life story and some inspiration and some scripture and positive things about life to help you through struggles. It's been a, a very long journey. I've had many struggles throughout my life and I've lived through many things. And I walk through that through my book and how I came out on the other side. And uh, I read many, many books after my son died, which his story is in the book. And I just thought most of them, or a lot of them, might have been written maybe from the head, like what to tell people to do. And I would tell people that mine is completely written from the heart and through my life experience and how maybe I got through it rather than telling them how to manage their own grief and struggle. Brenda, what kinds of readers were you speaking to with Piece by Piece? Well, I hope many readers, honestly. Readers who need some hope, I did dedicate it to the hurting souls out there. I think that you can read my book and get inspiration from it. You can read it if you love true stories. Any person could really read it, hmm. except maybe a child. And hopefully they take away some light and love and joy and faith from it. Brenda, what made you decide to sit down and write your story and publish it for the world? What was your inspiration for this? Well, to be honest with you, my greatest joy in life is helping others. And I have tried over a 27-year period to write my book and to help other people. I've had actually people praying with me about that. And it's honestly just a really big blessing to be able to finish it. And I would say the biggest inspiration behind it would be my son, Cody, who passed. I promised him 
I would tell his story when I was holding him while he was dying in my arms. And it was really a very big struggle. (laughs) And so I'm just so happy to have finished it. I think he touched more lives in his short eight and a half months than I've been able to do. So I thought maybe I could share some of his story and other things that have happened in my life and help others. Brenda, have you been published elsewhere or is this your first time? This is my first book, actually. So it's my first published book. I'm pretty excited about that. Yeah, congratulations. You should be really excited. Uh, What was it like the day you got that physical copy in? You actually got to hold it and see it for the first time. It was almost surreal. I kept looking at it, looking at it over and over again and thinking, did I really finish this? This has been (laughs) a pretty long journey. And so there was a lot of emotions behind it. And I was just extremely grateful. When I wrote, I, I really wrote through God and with God because it was such a difficult write. So I hope people can feel that. When it came to the publishing end of things, Brenda, what did you find the most challenging part of that for you? Well, honestly, for the publishing part of it, with Christian faith, it was really much smoother than I expected. I think it was a little surprising. That's why I say God had his hand in my book. I've had a lot of authors say that it was extremely challenging, and I have no idea that getting books published is like a 1% to 2% chance of every book that's turned in, at least with it, that's what they told me. For me, I had prayed about where I wanted to have the book published. I think the hardest part for me was actually making the call and turning it in and deciding to actually share my story with the world to open myself up. But the publishing part of it with Christian Faith was pretty smooth. I really appreciated their process. Looking ahead, do you see yourself writing more? Do you think you have more books in you? Actually, my first book was so very hard to write that I started writing a second book, and I'm about 82 pages into that. Oh, wow. So I fully intend on continuing on with that book and finishing it. So I'm I'm hopeful towards that, that it will be published. Well, this book has a wonderful message. I think so many people are going to love it and get so much out of it. Again, it's called Piece by Piece. It's written by Brenda Kane and published by Christian Faith Publishing. So go on over to Amazon or Barnes & Noble or iTunes, also traditional brick-and-mortar stores, and you'll find this book. Brenda, thank you so much again for joining me and telling me all about this work. I had a really nice time. Thank you so much. I did as well. I really appreciate it. There's a new audio book we'll be talking about right now here at the Reader House Author Roundtable. It's a compilation of true short stories from the law enforcement community. It's titled Rocks and Bottles. It's written by E.S. Tasker, and I get to find out a lot more about this. Ed, the author, is here with me now. Ed, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here with me tonight. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Ed, can you tell me all about Rocks and Bottles? What can readers expect here? Rocks and Bottles is a book that was written somewhat accidentally. Uh, It started out as a personal manuscript that was written some time ago. The intent in writing it at that time was simply something that I could pass down to my children later on in years so that they could have some idea of what I did for a living and some of the things that I uh, experienced personally. But as uh, time went by, it developed into more than a manuscript and at the suggestion of my wife was submitted to a publisher and it was accepted and the rest is history. And when it comes to writing and publishing all of that, Ed, have you ever done this before, or is this your first time at it? No, that was the first time. Congratulations. How long of an endeavor was this for you once you sat down, started writing, clear up until it was published? 
Well, when I first retired, I started writing almost immediately, more or less for myself, just to kind of go over some of the things that I had experienced myself. And then it grew from there and continued on. And it actually continued for almost a couple years before it got to the point where it was so large in number and in pages that it was suggested that I go ahead and consider having it published. When it came to the publishing end of things, what did you find the most challenging part of that for you? To be honest with you, the most challenging part was the editing process. I wrote most of it in a jargon that was probably most familiar with those that are in law enforcement. You know, though it's in English, it's written in such a way that those on the street would be familiar with. So I had to basically write it so that it could be easily understood for people that didn't spend time out on the road. When that day finally came, Ed, and you got your first copy in the mail, and you finally got to hold rocks and bottles in your hands, and it was a real thing, what was that like for you? It was surreal. I mean, without simplifying any more than that, it was something unlike anything I had experienced before. It's one thing to experience certain incidents and then write them down and record them in paper than it is to open up a box and take your written work out for the first time. It was, to be honest with you, I was a little bit speechless that particular time. Of course, we're talking about the audiobook edition. What was it like hearing your book, Ed, as opposed to reading it like you were used to all that time? That in itself was probably the most strange of all the experiences, having written it. it it's one thing to write and read it over yourself, but to sit there and listen to somebody else read it back and hear it with their own personal expression and their method of stating what occurred is really a strange experience, but at the same time, delightful. I mean, I, I've caught myself uh, after listening to several of the stories, literally laughing my head off. <laughs> and when I had written them, though I thought what occurred was funny, it was even more so when hearing somebody else describe it. Looking ahead, Ed, do you think you have another book in you? Do you think you'd do it again? Well, I have done it again. Uh, there's a follow-up to Rocks and Bottles called Always Remembered, Never Forgotten. It was published about a year after Rocks and Bottles was published by the same publisher. It's out in print and has been now for almost a year. And there is a third book in the works. It's been written and submitted to a publisher, and they've accepted it. And it's in the initial phases right now. Well, now you've been doing this a few times. Uh, do you have any advice, anything you might have learned along the way that you could put out there for the aspiring authors who are listening? Yes, I do. Uh, you know, there's always a reluctance on anybody's part that's especially doing it for a first time. You somewhat have this feeling that even though you're putting your own thoughts to paper and they make sense to you, that they may not make any sense or be readable to somebody else. Mm. But after having done it myself and finding out that there are those people out there that take interest in what you have to say, and especially uh, in the field of law enforcement, I I'd tell people to go for it. I mean, I really would. Again, it's called Rocks and Bottles. It's written by E.S. Tasker, and it's published by the Audiobook Network. So go anywhere where you like to pick up your audiobooks, like Audible or iTunes or Amazon, and you'll be able to find this book. Ed, I really appreciate you coming on the show and telling me about this book. I had a really nice time talking with you tonight. And I've enjoyed speaking with you. I appreciate you calling very much. Today, I'm sitting down with author Tori Easterling Doby, author of 11 Years, It Just Hit Stores. This explores her deeply personal struggles and how it transformed her relationship with God. When I get to talk all about this book, Tori is here with me now at the Reader House Author Roundtable. 
Tori, thank you for joining me tonight. Welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. Absolutely. Tori, can you tell me all about 11 years? What are readers going to find here? Absolutely. 11 years, as you stated earlier, was just my struggles with infertility. My husband and I, we've been trying for exactly 11 years, and I was struggling with all the medication and all the treatments. Nothing seemed to work. So when I finally just let go and let God, that's when I was able to conceive. And it's just the journey and the steps that I went through to inspire others who may be going through it, that there is hope. What inspired you to sit down, write your story, and tell this to the world, Tori? When I was out of the hospital, some people, you know, after the baby, you kind of stay in the hospital for a couple of days. And they were like, what is that journey like? And I was like, well, you know, it wasn't an easy one. And I shared my story with a couple of women. And they were inspired. And they told other women in the hospital. And it got to be people were literally coming in the room asking questions like, gosh, that should be a book. Oh, wow. Maybe you should share with others. And I just took some time to jot a little bit down. And I'm like, yeah, this could be a, just a, a small book just to say, hey, there's faith and give women out there and men inspiration to if you're trying, if you're struggling, don't give up, you know, pray, most importantly. And that's what started it all. I love that message, Tori. Have you ever done anything like this before when it comes to writing and publishing or are you new to all this? I am new to all this. I'm definitely a novice. And it, it, like I said, it was just people just, hey, you should write that down. So I took a little bit out of time and wrote it down. And before you know it, I had a few pages written. And then I just added to it. And I just went back in my memory bank experiences that resonated with me as a new mom and as a faithful person. I said, I can't be alone in this. There are plenty of women that are going through this as we speak, the struggles of infertility, and they may not know where to go. You know, what do I do in this situation? So that started it all for me. When it came to the writing and the publishing, was that a long process for you? It wasn't a long process, but it wasn't easy. Mm. Um, as someone who hasn't published a book before, it's the common question, where do you go? How do you get this out there? Is anybody going to buy it? How do you market it? And so that was something that I had to go through and get some assistance on. But once I got through those steps and through the initial process, it was actually smooth sailing from there. Covenant was awesome. They were easy to work with. And then that day comes, Tori, open up your mailbox, and there it is. You get your first copy of 11 years in, and you get to see this, hold this, your name's on the cover. What was that like? Wow, that was surreal. I mean, to see it in paperback, uh, everything is written in black and white, and to say, this is it. And now readers have the opportunity to read what you've written, and it's there. That was exciting. And I wanted to get the message across. And now that I know it's out there, it was an exciting moment. It still is. came out in the summer, so it's still fairly new. And I'm hoping that listeners will be inspired to learn more about my journey and to share with other people who are going through it, like I said, in, right now. And Tori, do you think you would do it again? Do you think you have more books in you? I do. I probably have a part two to this one. Hmm. But I mean, at some point, I had a writer's block. It's like, okay, I've written what I need to say. I think anything else adding on would just be too much. I think the message is there right now in, in, in the book that I have right now. But going forward, sure, I definitely have more diaries and other memoirs that I can put out there. I'm sure you learned an awful lot doing this for the first time. Do you have anything you picked up that maybe you could offer as advice to the aspiring, the first-time authors listening? I would say write exactly what you feel. Oftentimes, people would want you to change your voice or change your narrative. I mean, as long as you're using correct grammar, <laughs> as long as it reads well and people know what you're trying to say, use your voice because only you can tell your story the way that you want it shared. 
the way you want to depict it. So I say be you, use your voice, share your story the way you want it to be told, and be authentic and be authentically you. Mm, I like that advice. Well, infertility is definitely a difficult thing to deal with, and I think people are going to love this book and find a lot of help and hope in its pages. Again, it's titled 11 Years. It's written by Tori Easterling Doby, and it's published by Covenant Books, so you can get it everywhere that you go to get your books. Go on over to Amazon or Barnes & Noble or iTunes, and also traditional brick-and-mortar stores, and you'll be able to pick this up. Well, Tori, it's been great having you on the show, learning about 11 years and your whole process. Thanks again for joining me. Thank you again for having me. You have a great one. Many of us struggle with our purpose in life. And there's a new book we're going to talk about now right here at the Reader House Author Roundtable. And it looks to clearly lay out God's purpose for us. It's written by James V. Robertson. It's titled, God's Eternal Purposes for Mankind. And we're going to talk all about it. James, the author, is here with me now. James, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here with me. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Can you tell me what readers will find when they open up God's eternal purposes for mankind? The book reveals the origin and the final estate of mankind. It clearly communicates the major themes and doctrines of the Bible. What sorts of readers were you speaking to here, James? Actually, I had no specific reader in mind. I actually didn't design it to, to, to reach any human being, any person, regardless of age, sex, or what have you. I try to make it as simple as possible. But uh, obviously, persons who are frequent churchgoers and persons who frequently use the Bible, they, they will you know, have a better grasp of it. But, but I was targeting just about any and everyone. James, what gave you the idea to sit down and start writing this book? How are you inspired? Well, I grew up in a Christian home and was very intrigued by the Bible and its teachings. As a young man, I wanted to know the purpose of life. And so actually, when I was in school, after I finished my homework, I would pick up the Bible and I would read like six or seven chapters. I mean, that's the whole the Bible had in me. And I did this literally every day. So once you started writing God's Eternal Purposes for Mankind, James, how long of a process was it for you, clear up until it was published? It, it was a little over a year. And when it comes to being published and writing and all of this, are you new to it, or is this your first time at it? This is my first book. Oh, congratulations. It's such a big deal to get your first one out there, James. What advice would you have now to the aspiring authors listening, those who also want to get their first one out there? Oh, sure. I'll just advise them to follow their convictions. You know, do the research, the, the, the hard work. It's, it's not easy. Just follow your conviction, do, do the hard work, and go for it. A lot of time, a lot of work goes into doing something like this. So what was it like for you, James, when you got to hold your first copy? Oh, it was a feeling of great accomplishment, satisfaction for all the hard work. And now, James, you're a published author. For you, what's the most rewarding aspect of that? I actually get to share my thoughts and my convictions with the entire world, not just a particular congregation. And I've had the privilege to minister to congregations all over the world, you know, several countries in the world. I minister to thousands of people in different places. So now I get to share this with the entire world. And when it comes to the publishing end of things, there's so much involved in doing that. What did you find the most challenging part of that for you, James? 
Well, I, I really, you know, I, I prayed a lot when I was thinking about who I, I should have published my work. And the Lord directed me to Christian Faith Publishing. And uh, when I examined, you know, the process they use and their outreach, I recognized that, you know, that those, those are the persons I, I want to do it because I really wanted my work to be worldwide. And I, I just allowed them to do the things that, that they are very equipped and skillful in doing. And my experience with them, I mean, is amazing. They actually exceeded my expectations. These guys are real professionals. They're wonderful. They, they, they know their work. And I'm just happy. And uh, I have other works. And they're the persons I'm going to use. Fantastic. That was my next question, James. Do you have more books in you? Do you plan on writing more? Oh, sure. Uh, as, as a matter of fact, my, my next book is already with Christian Faith Publishing, hmm. and most li- likely it will be published about August, August to September of this year. Fantastic. I've just begun to work on t- three more books. I know a lot of readers are going to be inspired and get so much from this book. Again, the title is God's Eternal Purposes for Mankind. It's written by James V. Robertson. It's published by Christian Faith Publishing. So head out everywhere that you get your books, like Amazon or Barnes & Noble, iTunes, and also down the street at your local bookshop. James, I really appreciate you coming on the show, telling me all about your work. I had a nice time talking with you tonight. Beautiful. I'm so happy you found it that way. Thank you, too. God bless. Faith Sealed Hope. That's the new book, Just Hit Stores, written by Danny McBride, and that's the book we're going to be talking about right now here at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Danny is joining me. Danny, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. Hey, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. I appreciate your time, Danny. Can you tell me all about what you've written about in Faith Sealed Hope? Yeah, I basically just started writing after my wife passed away as almost therapy, and it kind of just evolved into an autobiography of all the little stories that have happened through my life. Basically, a lot of them have to do with faith-driven obstacles that God has provided the guidance for, and I was able to overcome and share those stories with others. Hmm. Would you say this is a book then primarily for those who are grieving? You know, I would say not really. I was just kind of just telling stories how I would tell you or anybody the stories, but I guess it's kind of become that. It's kind of a, I don't know how you'd say it, but yeah, maybe a little crutch for someone who else has gone through the grieving of a spouse or a loved one. When it comes to writing and publishing and all of that, Danny, have you done this before or is this your first time? Never. I'm a math nerd engineer. I've (laughs) I've never really wrote anything. In fact, this was pretty much all dictated. Hmm. So the editing became quite the nightmare, but Yeah, no, I'm not a writer. How long did this take you to write and publish, Danny? I would say I probably spent about four or five months just putting the stories into a journal app, and then it was probably equal amount of time trying to edit what I was even trying to say. Would you say that that was the most challenging part then of the whole publishing process, just organizing your words and putting them in order? Absolutely. Yeah, it was. It, some of it was pretty difficult to even decipher because I was, you know, in such a distraught mode for a couple of those months that even the dictated verbiage didn't make sense to me. I was basically rewriting it. <laughs> when that day finally came, Danny, and you opened up your mailbox and there it was, the first copy of Faith Sealed Hope, and you got to pick it up and look at your name on the cover. It must have been a crazy moment for you. It sure was. Yeah, my uh, my daughter actually recorded it as I was opening the box, and it was uh, quite an emotional moment. There's no doubt about it. Probably the proudest moment of my life. I'm sure you learned an awful lot along the way of doing this. So what would you say to the aspiring authors, the first-time authors out there? 
I say do it. I mean, it's it's a very easy thing to overcome nowadays with with all the technology in front of you. I mean, I used email to edit certain things just because that was was at my disposal when I was working. So mm. even if it never gets out there, which it's so easy to publish something just yourself now, I think any, anybody could do it, and it's kind of your legacy if you if you publish something that's that's there for life, you know. Looking ahead, do you see yourself writing, publishing more? I did not when I finished this book, but given what has happened in the last two years since this has all come about, yeah, I definitely am thinking of writing a book called Summer of 22, and I've kind of just dictated some of those stories and started a little outline of it. So who knows? Maybe it'll become something, or maybe it'll just stay in my journal app. I'm curious, dictating a book, was writer's block something that you dealt with? You know, the way I did it is I kind of just... When I had a story pop in my mind, I added it to my outline. And then when I felt like telling the story or even when I was physically telling the story, I just turned on the journal app and record. So, no, I would say I didn't have much of an issue with writer's block because I just kind of got in the groove of telling the story. And I've kind of always been a, you know, Irish storytelling, you know, humorous kind of guy. So. So much time, so much work goes into doing this, Danny. Now, what's the most rewarding aspect for you now that you're a published author? If I could tell you how many people tell me that their book changed them, mm. that it inspired them, that it hit home. I've had two people tell me it's the best book they ever read. And those are actual, you know, readers saying those words to me, which just blows my mind because it's such a, I mean, I, I don't consider it a like deeper at level of book, but uh, apparently, you know, the word I keep hearing is raw and it's great to hear people say, thanks for writing it. And it inspired me and, it, and it's for different reasons. It's never the same. So it's pretty inspirational and humbling to me as well. I think so many readers will be blessed by the pages of this book. Again, the title is Faith Sealed Hope. It's written by Danny McBride, published by Christian Faith Publishing. So find it at Amazon or Barnes & Noble or iTunes, also down the street at your local bookshop, and you'll be able to get this. Danny, it's been wonderful talking with you here tonight. Thanks for telling me about Faith Sealed Hope. I had a nice time talking. Hey, man, I appreciate it. I enjoyed myself thoroughly, and I appreciate you, sir. Thank you. I'm checking out a new audiobook written by James Reagan. It's titled The Secret of Edamanonki. And I get to find out more about this book. I have James with me now, right here at the Reader House Author Roundtable. James, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining me. Well, thank you. I appreciate you uh, giving me the time to talk about my book. I'm excited to have you here, James. I'm excited to learn about this book, The Secret of Edamanonki. Can you tell me all about it? Well, the book begins with the Visigoth invasion of the Roman Empire, and a decision is made in Ravenna to ship part of the imperial treasury out ahead of the Visigoth army to Ostia, where it disappears. As time moves forward, the Roman Catholic Church, who is engaged in a very expensive war, emerges of its existence, and he sends a priest to the Holy Lands to find it. And my story begins at the Battle of Hatton, where the Sahaladin, the Sultan, has crushed the Christian army. And my hero knight, who's left for dead on the battlefield, Sir Byron Fitzwalter, is fleeing to the Sea of Galilee, where he runs into this priest. And the priest here, my knight, is badly wounded. He's on death's door, and the priest and his assistant monk by the name of Brother Carl take the knight, and they take him to a place that they, that they call the Caverns of the Apostles. And there they wait, try to, because they're going to try to return to the city of Pyro, because the priest wants the archbishop Josius for assistance. The story is that Christian Church is trying to get this treasure back into Rome, 
And the priest takes this knight, who can also speak Arabic, and they return to Rome. And in Rome, the decision is made because of Sahaladin's war that they are going to try to put together an expedition of silk merchants and travel down the Euphrates to the city of Aleppo to the city of Babylon where the centurion took it. In the meantime, Sahaladin has captured a group of Christians and has learned the treasures in existence. And in torturing one of Bill- Father Villardain's priest's assistants, who they inadvertently kill, and though the priest knows where it's at, but they themselves aren't sure where the priest or the centurion took it. And so the Sultan Saladin sends his own man, Asimuddin, to track the Christians. And so when the, the Christians return to the Levant, his men starts tracking him down, or as it seems like any man to track the Christians down the Euphrates. So in the end, they both groups converge on the city of Babylon and the ziggurat at Edmanaki, where the centurion had taken his treasure and left it. And you have to read the book and how it turns out. That's the gist of the story. Wow, sounds really exciting. Who do you think would be really into this? Did you have a target readership in mind? A lot of it's historical fiction to a certain degree. It's an adventure story, and, you know, the facts are made up. But a lot of the people involved are real people. A lot of the events that happen in the story are real events. And so that would be the group that might find it interesting. Then you have the adventure group because, of course, these are knights. My knight fights several battles, taking his treasure down. The other thing, it kind of has a religious component to it based on the kind of characters in the time frame of 1187 when this story takes place. So that's kind of the three groups I think would find it so interesting. We're talking about the audiobook edition here. James, what was it like whenever you heard your book being read as opposed to reading it off the page like you were used to for so long? Mark Rice Oxley did a phenomenal, fantastic job of bringing all the voices to life. You know, I wrote the story, and I know where it's going, but I found it just completely entertaining the way he brought the whole story to life. He's describing the events, and he's the excitement in his voice when the exciting parts are happening. Or just the way he's voiced the characters, he nailed them spot on as to who they are. And it's really phenomenal to listen to him talk because, or read the story, because he does such a good job in varying the voices you can almost picture each person talking as going, and in fact, it's just him narrating. But it really brought it to life. Do you think you would do it again? Have you thought about writing more? Actually, I've got the second book done. I'm working on getting the mistakes out of it, which is just a time considered project. But I'm hoping to publish that second book soon, which is a continuation of the first book. Wonderful. Well, I think readers are going to love this book. I encourage my listeners to seek this out. Again, the title is The Secret of Edom and Anki. It's written by James Reagan and is published by the Audiobook Network. So, of course, you can find it anywhere that you pick up your audiobooks, like on Audible, iTunes, or the Amazon Store, or anywhere. Well, James, thanks again for coming on the show and telling me all about this. I had a really nice time talking with you tonight. Well, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. You have a good day. I'm looking at a book right now that's different than any other Christmas book out there. It's full of stories that look to increase the reader's faith. It's titled Three Christmas Miracles, and it's written by Casey Chadwick. And I get to find out all about this. The author, Kent, is with me now at the show. Kent, welcome. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Absolutely. Can you tell me all about Three Christmas Miracles? What can readers expect? Well, the book has three stories. A Dove in Darkness, which is a story about Joseph and Mary and their situation when he finds out that she is going to have a child and how they deal with that on a personal level. 
and how they come together so that they can raise the child together. The second story is Honey from the Rock. It's about a shepherd named Barnabas who has a child, five years old, who has a lame leg. And friends and neighbors think that he and his wife must have sinned for God to punish him like that. So he's not very faithful, but he's a good shepherd, and he does see the star and hear the angels tell about the Christ birth. But instead of running toward to find the child with the other shepherd, he runs home and gets his child and takes her and his wife with him to find the child, thinking that he might be able to get her healed. The third story is about a wise man, Malchior, who is older, very frail, who has put together several other men like him to try to find the Christ child. Their journey is very, very hard, but they do get to Jerusalem to meet Herod. But he says that he doesn't know anything about the child, but he is fascinated about the star. And Melchior has star charts and all these graphs that explain why the star has appeared. Wise men don't believe Herod, and so they leave and find the Christ child on their own. So each one is a very personal story and how they're reacting and what their challenges are and how they overcome those things to accept their divine callings. I love the stories going on here. Uh, you said this is different than every other Christmas book out there. How so? Well, it's different in that it's a very personal viewpoint on all of these events and how they try to overcome their obstacles in their lives to finally accept their callings to do the divine plan. So it's very different in that respect. Was it primarily a Christian audience you had in mind for this? Yes, pretty much. People who read the scriptures and know about the nativity and the birth of the Savior. When it comes to writing and publishing and everything like that, Kent, have you ever done this before or is this your first shot? This is my first shot at being a sort of a long writing project. I've written a lot of short stories and things like that and been published with those. But I wanted this mainly to be something for my family to have so that they would have a piece of my writing as I get older. How long of an endeavor was this for you? <laughs> well, it really is. took several years because I wrote the first story probably 20 years ago and just used that as a source for oral readings, which I gave to civic groups and church groups and that kind of thing. And it got a very good response. And then I got the idea, well, maybe we could, you know, what would the shepherd story be? And then I started fishing that out. And that came out to be the story it is now. And then I wanted to finish it with a story of the wise men. So. But it's taken several years. It sort of evolved over time. And after that amount of time and being so personal for you, Kent, what was it like when you finally got it in the mail? You got to hold your first copy. It was great, and that was exciting to see that it was actually in print and looked good. And the cover was nice, and it was well formatted. You know, it gave me a sense of accomplishment, which is always good. I enjoyed that. Do you see yourself publishing more in the future, do you think? Yes, I hope so. I have written two other books, completely different. One is a science fiction story about an alien invasion. The other is a murder mystery set a little bit in the future. Those are much longer books. They're like three and 400 pages, but they're both finished, and I'm scouting those around to see about getting those published. Now, when it came to what the book was actually going to look like, the cover and everything, you might not have thought of that right off the bat as you're actually just writing the story. So was that a challenge to get that all together? I had a graphic that someone else had given me. It had, it had an outline of Joseph and Mary and the baby in a manger. On the left side, it had a smaller picture of the shepherds. So I had to get that added in. So but that, it looks pretty good now. I think readers are really going to love this book, and I encourage my listeners to seek it out. Again, the title is Three Christmas Miracles. It's written by K.C. Chadwick. 
published by Covenant Books, so you can find it everywhere like Amazon or Barnes & Noble or iTunes and also down the street at your local bookshop. And Ken, thanks again for coming on the show and telling me about Three Christmas Miracles and everything else. I had a nice time talking with you. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. In the new children's history book by Sharon Elizabeth Sexton, the story is told of an eight-year-old black child growing up during the early 60s in Detroit. The book's titled MLK Jr.'s Detroit Dream, Memoir of a Civil Rights Foot Soldier, and I get to find out more about this really interesting book. The author, Sharon, is here with me now. Sharon, welcome to the Reader House Author Roundtable. I appreciate you being here with me. Well, thank you, and thank you for thinking that this is a book worthy enough to be talked about. Absolutely. I love the message and the story told here, Sharon. Can you tell me what readers can find in there? The book is a history book. It's a five-year history book between 1963 and 1968. And basically, I am the, the foot soldier, the civil rights foot soldier, if you couldn't, couldn't tell. And it starts with my dad tricking me by saying we are going to a parade. And it ended up being when Martin Luther King came to Detroit and marched down Woodward Avenue and gave the first version of his I Have a Dream speech. Oh, wow. So, Sharon, what was the inspiration for you to write this? Well, actually, I had two inspirations. One, a couple of years ago, I went to a MLK Day activity, and the main speaker ended up not being able to come because she got sick. And when I was looking at the children, they were getting all bored, you know, squirming around in their chairs. So for whatever reason, you know, I guess God spoke to me or it just hit me. Go out and tell the story about when you first saw Martin Luther King. Now, mind you, I've never met him. So I went out and I started telling the story about my dad tricking me. And we went downtown in Detroit that day. And it was the most people I had ever seen. Mm. And then, you know, we were standing in the crowd, and I couldn't see anything because I was only eight years old. (laughs) And then my mom said, well, here he comes. And then my dad lifted me up on his shoulders, which was unusual because, you know, I hadn't been on his shoulders since I was like three, four years old. (laughs) And, you know, I was just awed that this man was walking down the street. And I knew a little bit about him because I did watch the news as a young person. So I knew that there was some issues going on down south and that he was trying to address some of these issues dealing with black people in the south. And I knew I was black. And so we had to stand outside. And they had these speakers because the unions had sponsored the march. They had these huge speakers. And that's how I heard the I Have a Dream speech for the first time, standing on the street, you know, listening to this great booming voice. I was telling that to the kids, and they were just enthralled, and we were all (laughs) marching through the museum, the historical museum here, singing, We Shall Overcome. And these are, you know, like four- and five-year-old little white kids. And it's like, hey, they really got into this story. Maybe I have something here. Hmm. Sharon, how long did this take you to write and then get published? It took, I would say, a year and a half. It only took maybe about a few months to a half a year to write because I kept adding, you know, as, as I was remembering, because, like I said, this was a five-year time between when I was eight years old and 13. Hmm. And there was a lot that happened in that time period. I didn't even realize how much had happened until I started trying to remember back on it. You know, John F. Kennedy was assassinated. Malcolm X was assassinated. They had Muhammad Ali, who started off as Cassius Clay. 
You have James Brown singing, I'm black and I'm proud. And even here in Detroit, there were some issues going on. You know, we always think of the cross burning going on in the South. Well, when I was eight years old, there was a cross burned on the lawn right across the street from me. Mm. So my book doesn't get into why necessarily things happen. It's just that as a kid, you observe all these things and you just notice them. It's like, dang, you might think about them. So, you know, the book goes very quickly. It's 28 pages and a good reader can read it within a half an hour. And like I said, it takes you through five years of black history or really American history. I know children and readers alike are really going to love this book and get a lot out of this story. Again, the title is MLK Jr.'s Detroit Dream, Memoir of a Civil Rights Foot Soldier. This is written by Sharon Elizabeth Sexton. It's published by Newman Springs Publishing, so you can find it everywhere like Amazon and Barnes & Noble and iTunes, traditional brick-and-mortar stores, anywhere you go to pick up your books. Sharon, thank you again for joining me tonight and telling me all about this really fascinating book. I had a nice time talking with you. Well, thank you for inviting me, and thank your listeners for listening to my story. There's a new book out there written by William H.S. Allen. It's titled The Life and Times of Robert F. Massey. And I get to find out all about this new book. The author, William, is here with me now at the Reader House Author Roundtable. William, welcome to the show. I appreciate you joining me here tonight. Hey, I'm glad to be on here to speak with you. Well, I'm glad you're here as well, William. Can you tell me all about the life and times of Robert F. Massey? Well, I'm an old man, and back in the day when I was about 65 years old, I never gave any thought to writing a novel. I mean, that was something that was not in my wheelhouse. I never even thought about it. Hmm. I'm primarily a musician. I play a lot of instruments. I sing. I write songs. I play in two bands. So this was something that I didn't really think about doing it. But I was teaching school. I taught high school English for a few years from a textbook, an English textbook. There was one page in there, which was a little story about this man, Robert F. Massey. And Robert F. Massey was a true historical character, but hardly anything's known about him, which really was good for me because then I could construct his story because, I mean, I spent a lot of time trying to find anything about Robert F. Massey, and there was absolutely nothing out there about him, except for this one little incident that happened at Fort Independence in the Boston Harbor. It captured, I'm not going to give you the details about that incident, you can read your good book, (laughs) but I was captivated by that page, and I just started thinking, boy, that would be a great climax to end a book, what this man had written about, Edward Snow, who was a historian author in the Boston area. So I was fascinated by it. And I just started just kind of thinking, well, I'll just start writing something. And so I just started back, you know, before Robert F. Massey was born and started writing about his, what I thought his family would be like and what his life would be like. And I ended up, this book basically goes, the timeline of this book is the full life of Robert F. Massey and all the things that happened to him and his family. Oh, wow. Uh, there's a lot of, a lot of, I think, a lot of exciting things that take place in this book. A lot of climaxes, a lot of ups, a lot of downs. And there are a lot of captivating characters. I just kept coming up with characters. And I tried to develop them the best I could. And so that's kind of how I started with the book. And William, what kinds of readers do you think would be really into this? Well, 
I don't think you could narrow it down to a particular kind of reader. I think it could be a very broad base of people that could read this book. Uh, I think anybody that likes to read, whether you're really into historical fiction, which is what this is, historical fiction, but whether you re read a lot of historical fiction or you just like to read or you like history, I think anybody would enjoy this book. And it would even be, I think, appropriate for middle school and high school kids because it's written, I, I would guess it's probably, I probably wrote it at a ninth or 10th grade level. It's not a hard book to read. Mm. And uh, I think it could appeal to a lot of people. And there's a lot of history in there. I mean, how many people know about the Embargo Act of 1807? Can you tell me about it? No, I think I might have heard about it last in school at some point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, there's a lot of history in this. Like one person that read the book, they said, wow, I, would, I learned a lot about history by reading this book. I spent more time doing research than I did writing, to be honest. I mean, I just had to research and research. And then I'd write a little bit and I'd research. And then I'd go through this period of time where I was having writer's block and wasn't really getting anywhere. And I put it on a shelf and, and decided I was going to give up. And about a year after that, I just thought, my gosh, I can't quit now. I've, I've already started this thing. I've got to proceed. So I went back in and started working on it again. And before long, I had a novel, you know. About the same time, I put out my album of 10 original songs. It's just about completed. I'm going to be putting that out, too. But, oh, wow. So those have been my two projects is playing music and, and writing music and recording music and writing this novel. Wow. And I think a lot of readers are going to love this book, too. Again, the title is the Life and Times of Robert F. Massey. It's written by William H.S. Allen. It's published by Newman Springs Publishing, so it's available everywhere. Get on over to Amazon or Barnes & Noble or iTunes or traditional brick-and-mortar stores, and you'll be able to find this. Well, William, I really appreciate you coming on the show here tonight and telling me all about your work. I had a nice time talking with you. Hey, I appreciate it. I appreciate it very much, and perhaps we can speak again somewhere down the line. We hope you enjoyed this edition of the Reader House Author Roundtable, where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. We hope to see you back here every Friday night at 8 p.m. or listen anytime via podcast at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Podserve, to name just a few. The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore, where independent new authors come first.